I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is uh, author Maureen Healy. Her new book is The Happiness Workbook for Kids. Summer is a fun time for most children, but these past few years have been tough. Helping your children bounce back from the pandemic and point towards happier experiences this summer may sound like a big job. The good news is you're not alone, and learning how to help them become stronger, more resilient, and ultimately happier is important for you and them. Maureen Healy brings us a great resource with ideas for experiences that bring us closer together and provide happy memories while learning, exploring, and having new adventures. She's an award-winning author, educator, and sought-after speaker and leader in the field of children's emotional health, especially resilience education. She's reached millions worldwide through her popular blog on Psychology Today and is a favored expert source for media channels such as the New York Times, Forbes, Scholastic Magazine, ABC, NBC, PBS, and many more. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Well, we definitely need a happiness workbook for kids and for parents and for all of us. So, uh, but mm-hmm. let's start with the kids, right? Happiness workbook for kids. Uh, are kids not happy now? Are they less happy uh, now than they were before or let's say post-pandemic or uh, what are we talking about? Well, I mean, the idea of becoming happier, like happiness isn't really dynamic. So it's not like, I mean, it's not static. It's not just something that stays so it's something that we have to focus on like a skill like go to the gym and building a muscle and I think children I know from my experience working for about 20 years with them in private practice and in the classroom is that they don't know how to become happier unless they have very clear instruction on like you know how my emotions work and what to do with them and what direction happier is in you know I always think about kids as being just sort of automatically they are happy but it's adults that impose all their negative stuff on the kids and then they become unhappy that if we sort of leave them to their own devices they'll be happy Uh, but that's not true that you're saying that we that adults have a a huge impact in children's happiness and there are ways that we can help to create happier kids and more resilient I think we use the word resilient more resilient kids which is really imperative in our times right now, everybody has to be more resilient perhaps than they were before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's complicated being a kid nowadays. I mean, not everyone has a quote unquote ideal family and, you know, school can be hard. You know, they just went back to school and bullying is still the number one thing I see in my private practice. So, you know, there's some assistance that, you know, is needed to get to that happier spot and to bounce back sometimes for sure. Okay, so what are those skills? What do we need to do? I mean, you mentioned bullying. So uh, you, as a parent, you find out your kid's getting bullied. And of course, that doesn't make, that's for happiness. So how do you respond? What do you do? Or how do you help your kid? Well, I mean, every situation is different. It's, it's, you know, there's really no cookie cutter situation, but certainly a child who's being bullied needs to learn how to, you know, stand up for him or herself, you know, navigate the situation and, and and move away from the situation, as well as if there was a bully, we kind of have to have compassion for that person, right? I mean, people don't come out of the uterus with, as a bully. They learn that. So they we need to, like, you know, sort of rehabilitate the bully, help them, you know, make different choices. 
So that's sort of a complicated thing. And that often falls into the school bucket, right? That falls into what's happening at school. But, you know, that is a tricky one because it's, you really have to work and advocate for your child. But learning how to become happier, you know, it really begins with, you know, how do you identify your emotions, especially when they're small, right? So you identify them when they're small and then learn how to constructively express them where we oftentimes begin, you know, and naturally it's knee-jerk reactions, right? So screaming and slamming doors and doing all these things that just come natural to kids. And then we learn, okay, I can make better choices. I can do it differently. And I'll be happier. They'll be happier. It, it, It works for everyone. You talk about reframing challenges, which I think is critical, which I think I did for my kids. I have three grown sons, but, and went through a divorce when they were in, when they were young. And one of my sons was all, you know, why do we have, why are you getting divorced? Nobody else is getting divorced. And I think I took a chapter from your book without knowing it, but reframing the challenge. Well, this is a challenge for you, but you're going to be stronger for for this and show them how to do it and what they're going to be able to, you know, there are skills and uh, emotional experiences that they'll have that other kids won't have that will help them deal with other negative experiences or in their lives. You know, that, that, so that reframing challenges I think is critical. Yeah. I mean, sometimes lemons are just lemons, but oftentimes we can make lemonade and certainly from any experience we have, whether it's a divorce, a diagnosis, you know, a natural disaster. We can always decide to become stronger, have more patience. We can, there's something we can learn from it. And if we can, like you said, learn some coping skills or some tools, then we're better off. It doesn't mean we had a good time during the experience. It just means that we actually gained ability to persevere and that we, we had that maybe emotional aha that, hey, there's something in me that's bigger than the outside world, which is something I wrote in my first book, Growing Happy Kids, you know, how to help kids really develop that inner strength because as we know and that we're talking about on this planet you need inner strength you need resilience you need perseverance it's it's really the foundation of positive emotional health and i think during this pandemic a lot of the kids who well let's take maybe middle school high school kids who didn't do well were um didn't have this ability to, or hadn't developed this ability to be resilient. Maybe the parents themselves weren't that resilient, but some kids really shone or shined during this whole experience of mm-hmm. studying at home or being in the school part-time mm-hmm. um, and, and did really well Did because they, they mm-hmm. were up to the challenge, I guess. And uh, mm-hmm. obviously that's what most parents want their kids to be, but um, yeah, you can become stronger. Um Mm-hmm. What you give another example in your book, you know, what helps kids to ha- make them happy or help them to become happier kids uh, help someone else that makes you feel good. Uh, what can kids do uh, to um, to help someone else when, when, when you say when you're a little kid? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we think about becoming happier, right, moving in a better direction, feeling better than before. Um you know, there's that temporary happiness, which is having an ice cream cone, right? Which is fabulous. Which and then if well. someone bumps you, then ice cream cone falls and we're unhappy. So a deeper type of happiness, something that can last longer and that can be more what we would call contentment, is when you help others. That's a key piece of that puzzle. So as a child, it could be tutoring someone. It could be helping someone build a computer. It could be walking the dog. It could be saying mom or dad. Or mom and mom, hey, do you have something you can ha- I can help with? It's, or it can be like um, I worked with a 
a child recently, and he just cleaned up his neighbor's backyard. It was an elderly neighbor. The backyard was a disaster, and he had fun doing it. So it doesn't have to be something grand, but it can be something that just makes a difference and that you feel helpful about it. That will boost your happiness level. It also connects you to other people in the example that you gave with the uh, the kid who's, you know, cleaning the um, elderly person's backyard. He established or she establishes a relationship with that person and other things, you know, mm-hmm. generate from that other good things that make you happy. Um, so totally. Yeah. So that's really important. Like you say, it doesn't have to be some huge, you don't have to do a big fundraiser. You can do just the stuff, you know, the one-on-one, the intimate kinds of stuff. When should you start doing that? I mean, at what age? Uh, in utero. <laughs> in utero, okay. I mean, I mean, genuinely, it's, it's from from the get go. Children are watching when we don't think they're watching. So even if you're, they're not directly seeing you volunteer or say kind words or be nice to someone, they're adding it all up. They're taking in the clues and saying, okay, I can be myself. Okay, it's it's good to help other people. They're just watching, even. You know, preschool, really young, they're watching. And when a kid is old enough to feel like, you know, hey, we can volunteer at the animal shelter and walk the homeless dogs or something like this, walk the dogs that need extra help. You know, when when they feel they're ready or make a lemonade stand and fundraise, it doesn't, it doesn't, it has to be an age appropriate level. I often think grade school, but, you know, it's got to be either, you know, adults monitored or on their own when they're ready. I mean, I have grandchildren who are in preschool, and they got all kinds of presents for one of the holidays or their birthdays. And I said, well, maybe you could give or some of mentioned uh, one of your trucks. You have so many trucks to another kid. Well, in you know, for a four-year-old, it's I don't think so. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it wasn't really age appropriate, like you said, grade school perhaps wasn't ready to be that giving at the um, at that age. Right. And I might not ask them to give something of theirs. I might say, hey, what can we do for others so that they can begin to go from thinking me, me, me to more we, we, we. But like, you know, when you're that young, like your stuff is so important. Yeah. Okay. You talk about gratitude, appreciation. Gratitude makes you happy. Think about it. What what does that mean in terms of a, of a, a young kid? Well, the idea of learning how to not just say thank you when someone does something or, you know, just to actually really feel the feeling, to really deeply feel like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Like to recognize people's kindness towards yourself and towards others. I mean, we're only here on the planet through the kindness of others. You know, none of us can do it alone. So learning how to genuinely feel thankful, not just go through the motions and to actually, you know, you know, demonstrate gratitude, which is appreciation, whether it's a thank you note, whether it's a kind word saying to someone, you know, I really appreciate that. Those are things that aren't expensive things that, but they are continually boosting your, um, your level of, you know, happiness. And I mean, even the the exercise is sort of linked to that optimism. You know, Martin Sakelman did all the scientific research on every night, if you say three good things, what were the three good things from today? After several weeks, your mind starts to look for the good things through the day, and it boosts your level of of feeling happier. So that is sort of a gratitude, appreciation, optimistic practice. But it really, really, all of a sudden, you're deeply grateful for like, wow, that was incredible. And it doesn't have to be amazing. I can't believe I saw that butterfly today. It's just that wow factor. You start to really 
appreciate being on this planet at this point in time and the kindness given to you and the kindness that you extend to others. It makes a difference. Three good things for the day is great because uh, many of us think about the three worst things that happen during the day, including the kids. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So let's get away from. Yeah. And that doesn't make you happy. But yeah, three good things from. I like that. Um, Making Mm -hmm. memories. You talk about making memories. So how do we help our kids make memories that help to sort of fill their happiness buckets? Yeah. The science of happiness shows that when we put pictures around our house of positive experiences we've had, in that moment we, when we see the photo, we're happier. It, it lifts our mood. So the idea is that, you know, whether it's in the winter or summer or whenever, when we have, you know, oftentimes people take vacations in the summer. So, you know, when you're out and about doing fun things, capture it and, you know, put it intentionally, whether it's in your child's room or the living room, wherever, or even when the first thing you walk in the door, so when you walk in, you're feeling good. You're like, you know what? I really like that trip to Disneyland. Or, wow, that national park was amazing. Or the beach or the museum or the zoo. So I think capturing when things are really good is great because it fills your happiness bucket. And we all know just the nature of living that we have to dip into that bucket sometimes and use some of our reserves, not in a negative way, but we, you know, we have to like use our resources, our, our strength and capabilities so that when, you know, when challenges arise that we have the strength and we have that um, reserve. But Maureen, can you get too much into that dipping into that happiness bucket? I mean, like trying to plan so many things for, I want to make sure it goes that they go, they go to the zoo and we take them out for lunch and, uh, you know, you can do a whole list of things. Can there be too much of that overload? Well, I don't, I, I mean, this is my own personality. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I like planning. I think over planning is not great. And I think making, wanting things to be a certain way, trying to control things isn't necessarily healthy, but I think having certain things on the calendar, whether it's a camp or an outing or an event, and then being flexible, like flexible, like I wrote the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. And flexibility is correlated to emotional health, the skill of emotional balance. When you are inflexible or rigid, oh, it's got to go this way. It's got to be this. We've got to have this schedule. That's really when you start to get a little unhealthy. So you want to plan things, but you want to be flexible. You want to focus on what's going right and do your best, you know? And oftentimes it's like those moments that you don't plan. You're like, wow, I saw that. That was amazing. That is even the best. I, I think one thing that comes into play here, too, with parents, caregivers, whoever's taking care of the child or children is not to, you know, going on a picnic make you as an adult love going on picnics, but the kids don't want to do that. Like don't interject all, you know, your likes that what makes you happy doesn't necessarily makes, uh, make your children happy. You have to be aware of that. I think on the other hand, you want to expose them to, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, you want to expose them to experiences they may say no to because they've never experienced it before. And you know that perhaps they will really enjoy that and sort of override what they want to do. So it's kind of a delicate balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm a big believer, you know, in in a choice and a voice. I mean, obviously, there's times where there's a vacation planned or whatever, we're all just going. (laughs) But there's other times I love the idea of, 
you know, everyone gets to pick a day to do something. Like, okay, today's my day. We're going to Legoland or today's my day. We're going to the skater park or whatever it is they decide they want to do. But everyone has a day. And then the other family members go along because, like you said, we all have different interests. Yeah, and that's critical. And so families are different. The makeup of whatever the makeup of the family is uh, changes mm-hmm. things. If you're, if you're an only child, if there are two kids, three kids, uh, you know, one caregiver, two, four, whatever it is, that the whole family dynamics, I guess, impacts some of this of what we've been talking about mm-hmm. in, in different ways. Maybe you can give us some examples. Um, sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, it just, just I, I'm a fan of even having family meetings where you like, you know, I mean, there's always like constructive stuff to say, like, you know, if there's if there's cursing in the family, okay, we have a curse jar, right? You know what I mean? But then you use all that money on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to have it feel motivating and empowering the house. So like if one child, you know, really loves the zoo, they're just fanatical about the wild animals and they're excited you know, they can plan that day for the family. And it's like in even the planning and the weeks that lead up to that big zoo day, they're excited, they're feeling happier. And everyone gets a day where they get to, everyone goes along. So I like that idea just because it empowers them. And I feel like as a child, so many times you feel like, oh, they're just telling me what to do. I got to go here. I got to do this. Like, you don't always feel like you're the boss of you. So when you feel a little more like the boss, it's, it's a great feeling for the child and it makes them happier. And it also, you know, that's like why you would give a child a project, like, okay, gardening. <laughs> you know, like kids need a project oftentimes to feel happier too. They need to struggle and learn something new. And that's part of the process. Yeah. Learn something new. I think that's that's also a, a critical. Learning something new. I think that was the most difficult thing in my family during quarantine. The, the, the kind of, there weren't some, the, the op, there were less options. So there was always this kind of feeling of routine or routinization and that didn't feel good. So this is the opposite of mm-hmm. that, learning something new. And that's really easy to do. I think that's critical. That that really mm-hmm. does add to happiness, not only for the child, but for the caregivers and the family and, and, and everyone. Um, so how many, I have to ask you personally, how many kids do you have? I don't have any children. I, um, I trained as a child psychologist. So I've been in the classroom and in private practice. Yeah. And and so it, that's interesting because you, you don't have any children of your own, but you're the expert and all the work that you've done with kids, um, what motivated you to, I guess, get to do what you do because it all, it all revol- revolves around children. Well, I was a child. It's not like yes. I'm an expert on frogs. I was that's a child. <laughs> And they're very much aware of how the mind of a child works. So that's really where I work, the children's emotional health, the happiness and resilience. So I I think that, you know, when you were something and you learned how to become happier, it's oftentimes, or you've learned something from that experience. I I oftentimes think that's the best person to help someone else. Yeah, I think that's true. That's definitely true. Uh, Yeah, you were... Um, yeah, I, I have three children. I have three sons and three grandsons. I have no daughters or granddaughters, but I am a daughter. So kind of, I know what it feels mm-hmm. like to be a daughter. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's what you're talking about. So what's your next book? 
Isn't that a great question? Yeah. <laughs> um, I do have an, yeah, well, I have, well, I, since I wrote the happiness workbook for kids, I do have another set part of that to write at some point in my life. Um, and then I have another adult book to write, but sometimes it's like, think books are like, you know, you have to live part of them first. It feels like, you know what I mean? I, it, yeah. it, it, sometimes they germinate within you for a while. So I'm actually opening a school next year. So I'm I'm very much involved in this TK to five school um, where we're going to be teaching resilience. So that's my piece of the puzzle. Wait, the school is that's the whole focus of the school is resilient. I mean, that's that's it. But talk to us more about that. And where's the school? It's an, it'll be in Nevada, California. Uh, it's a resilient studies curriculum that I wrote. And uh, that's sort of the unique proposition. I mean, obviously, there's all math and reading and science, all those good things and neat, neat curriculums. But I wrote the curriculum for the Resilient Studies curriculum for elementary school. So, um, so it will teach the science of resilience to young children. So, I mean, that's the whole idea. Like, we all have experienced not just the pandemic, but in life, there are challenges. And if you don't know how to bounce back, you're really um, – it, it doesn't put you in a fortunate place. And it really like happiness. It's a skill to learn how to, you know, do the things and think the thoughts that help you become more resilient. So that's really a passion of mine. And I think in this society now, everything happens so quickly uh, and changes so mm-hmm. quickly that resilience does become the key. And you are going to one is going to get left behind if you aren't. Another word that that I've heard is that, you know you have to be resilient and then pivot and do something else or, you know, when you are challenged, but it happens, I think much mm-hmm. more quickly now than it ever did, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. And so resilience is a key. And I have not heard of that as a curriculum. This is the first time I'm hearing it mm-hmm. from you. That's a, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 And I agree with you. I mean, the things just happen so fast in our world today that flexibility and resilience are just, demanded of us, whether it's environmental things like I have in California or other things, you know, things just change so quickly, right? Yep. Great. Well, all right, let's talk about this book. Give us, because we have a couple minutes left, barely. Um, your book, where can we get it? Give us a website uh, and or websites to go to about the book, about your school, uh, you know, and about your work. Um, the happiness workbook Thank for you. kids. Is, yeah. Yeah, the Happiness Workbook for Kids. Um, you can buy it anywhere books are sold. And it's more information on my website, growinghappykids.com. And I believe I have on my Instagram some free, like, downloadable forms and sheets where some of the activities are free. And that's kind of fun and helpful sometimes to get started. And the whole point of the book is really just to help children identify their emotions, express them constructively, and point in a happier direction. And I was really delighted. So many teachers have been using it in the classroom, you know, before school ended. And um, parents and adults are saying, forget the kids. This is helping me. So that's always a treat to me because even though the focus is children, I mean, these are ideas for our whole lives, right? It doesn't change. Right. No, that's how I felt, uh, you know, when I looked at the book. Exactly. What about it does? It helps not just the kids, but it also helps the parents. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for being on the show today uh, and sharing all your insights. Thank you for having Um, me. Yeah, it was great. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 